We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Coming at you uh, as we wind down the dog days of July. Feels like the NBA offseason that we've been talking about, like coming, it's coming, it's coming, coming. Feel like it's been here for a few weeks now. Uh, and it's just the reality that reality is kind of hitting us that nothing is happening and nothing is probably going to happen anytime soon. Well, almost nothing is happening. A few things happened. And I am here to talk about those things today with the one and only Jeremy Cohen, who I've not spoken with in like two weeks, right? Pretty much, yeah. Last time was the wedding where we we hung out for the day, Andrew's wedding, of course. Yeah, I remember that. Well, I'm, then wait a minute, when was the last time we recorded? It was before that. We haven't recorded since free agency, since one of the emergency pods, or or the recap pod. No, yeah, I was I about so. to say, did we? Is the last time really one of those emergency pods? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, and it was only. I mean, only three weeks ago. I'm used to recording every week, but yeah, it was about three weeks ago. It's it's funny. I for some reason thought we recorded much more recently than that, and at the same time, it seems that seems like forever ago. So I don't know um, how both of those things make sense. In any case, we haven't gotten a chance to talk uh, Nick's on air in a while. So, <laughs> and yes, yeah. Andrew's reminding us that stuff happened in in some people's personal lives. I don't know what could he, he could be talking about. I'm just um, going to take two minutes, by the way, to clear my name on something. Oh, my God. So do I know about what you're going to clear? Your probably. Name on? I mean, probably. So right. I just want to. There was video taken by one Chris Percy Einan oh, of the walk in entrance of Andrew's groomsman and best man. And I saw notifications about the differences in terms of my walk in versus uh, that of John's walk-in. So I just would like to, to provide some context here. Um, Please. I was told we were all walking in and the rest of Andrew's groomsmen are saying, oh, hey, what are well, like? What dance are you doing? How are you moving in there? Like all these things. And I know that, John, you and I are partnered together. And I'm thinking like, there is not a chance in hell that the man who hates fun is going mm-hmm. to, to wiggle with me at all. Right. There's going to be no movement outside of I'm just going to walk from point A to point B. Uh, and I knew this. Right. And yes. everyone th- starts asking me, hey, what are you and John going to do? And I'm like, 
I'm going to figure something out and John's not going to dance. And then John approaches me and I say, John, we need to go in there and we need to dance. And he said, I'm not doing that. And I said, I know. I know you. That's We're not doing that, but I'm doing that. So we walk into the Bulls, uh, the Michael Jordan intro music, as Andrew wanted. And I just like, I'm trying to think of something to do, knowing that I need to do the exact opposite of whatever John is doing. So I made it. I was my doing mission. something. I was drinking. You were, which is a great thing to do. And I wasn't at that moment drinking. No. Um, so instead, I, I took all of the energy that would have been with both of us. Um, and I just did it doubly. So that was why for the comments about like, wow, what music was playing in Jeremy said it was the music of, I need to move my body. So <laughs> we like, we are not totally in sync as like, here they come strolling down. Like we had to get some sort of energy as the first group to get in there. So, uh, so that's why I dance like an idiot. And uh, honestly, I would do it even if you were dancing with me, but it just happened to be me alone up there uh, as we walked in unison. The only context I'll give is the instructions that I gave to all of my groomsmen. And it was pretend it's pregame introductions during the playoffs. Now, I don't know if those instructions got to you. Dear God, I hope those are. That's not how they you did not. come out during a playoff game. <laughs> so they, I did not receive that instruction. I, thought, I want to be clear. <laughs> I thought that it was supposed to imitate like what players do when they come out during the starting lineups. And that was the idea behind it. We did something different. We didn't pair up groomsmen and bridesmaid. The bridesmaids came out to Lizzo. And then the groomsmen came out to Sirius by Alan Parsons. Alan Parsons project, one of the more famous and iconic pregame introduction music uh, themes of all time. In hindsight, maybe if I had played Go New York, Go New York, Go, John would have actually emoted. But Jeremy, I have no idea. Maybe... He still would have hated fun and would have done the, the the president-elect wave that he did. Can I can I say something? With. Yes. For my wedding, my wife and I practiced for. We had a, a dance instructor, former formerly of Juilliard, that gave us private private lessons for three months, and we practiced three separate choreographed dance dances to three separate pieces of music for five minutes total in length. And we performed it in front of my entire wedding party. This was all my idea. That is the sort of preparation I need if I am going to put myself out there in any significant way in front of a group of people. To, to suggest that on a whim, I'm going to create some sort of tomfoolery? No, absolutely not. That's just so, never going. And that just goes to show that one of us did improv growing up and the other one didn't. It's not, it's not it's, my wheelhouse. It's, it's, for goes, me, it's yes and. And for you, it's no but. That's, <laughs> that's really how it goes. Exactly. This goes yeah. to show also. I get that reference. The, Good. This, this goes also more to show the, the, the natural like ability to improvise that some have. Because I, I also, I, my idea was like just come up with something. I didn't realize I had to tell you this months in advance. Hey, come up with, oh, wait, I just checked the group chat. I did say months in advance. You guys are going out two by two. Have something ready for the I, wedding I, night. I, I never got any any step-by-step instructions, so I, I don't mm-hmm. know what you're talking about. All right, well, that's, that's enough of that. come out with Tibbs is what should have happened. And then the both of you, Jeremy, I should have had you come out with like with a, 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 a groomsman that was more fun. And then John I came out with Tibbs. Tibbs was standing he to my left. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's the, the improv right there showing yeah. up. Well, there you listen, go. 
walking out to a wedding reception in a serious manner is more fun than fun is fun. I rest my case. I, I came out to Edwin Diaz with my friends playing trumpets. So clearly See, that was cool though. Was great. Was I had fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you're, the, you're the, you're the, you were the birthday boy as so to speak. Um, Andrew, it was a great wedding. Uh, one more time. Congratulations. Mazel tov, mm-hmm. the whole thing. Um, Jeremy, we're now here to talk about basketball. Yes. I feel like I like, so we have some stuff on the rundown here. We have a, basically, we're going to do a new, little bit of a news catch up. And then we have a uh, cap or no cap uh, as relates to, uh, someone who will probably not be playing basketball for the Knicks anymore, whether he's on the team come uh, training camp and the season, we'll, we'll perhaps get into that. But um, before we get to that cap or no cap, go through a couple couple news items. So first of all, we haven't talked about Summer League. Um, I don't really have anything to say about Summer League other than I think the Jalen Martin kid is really interesting and I'm really excited to see what he becomes in a couple of years. Uh, and I think... It, Good job by the Knicks picking him. I don't expect him to do anything of note this year or next year, but I, I like what we saw from him in summer league. I thought that was notable. Other than that, I don't really have much to say, but I haven't talked to you about it, so I don't know if maybe you have more to add. Not a ton. Listen, between Andrew's wedding and just life, I did not get to summer league games. I didn't watch any. I would like to say that my answer was that I watched more. But I just did not get to them. And I think the thing about Summer League is it's fine to have an opinion on it. And it's fine to have no opinion on it. Because it doesn't... As Benji talked about, he tweeted about it. Or it's like, yeah, it's not... Everything can be everything, but everything is something. I'm butchering what he's saying. But but everything isn't necessarily everything. Like there Everything is, is not everything. An, right. Everything's not everything, but everything is something. Um, I will say I loved what QJ Peterson had to say with his post about... That was cool. working hard and yeah. trying to crack his way into the team. Like that's I, I whenever I see that type of post, I root for that player regardless. I'm sure a lot of these players feel similarly and maybe don't write out how they feel or what their opportunities have been. But it was really admirable to read that. So I'm rooting for him. I think that there were some comments in terms of uh, prospective backup force that the Knicks might employ who really aren't going to be seeing much time on the court anyway. Like, uh, look, perhaps this will change, but looking at someone like Isaiah Roby as an OB top and a replacement to me feels ludicrous because you're essentially, because <laughs> you're essentially saying, Oh, the Knicks feel they're so comfortable going from OB top into now like 10 minutes a game or so of Isaiah Roby. And it's just like, no, it's, it's a non-guaranteed contract. It's, you don't have to guarantee it until January 10th. You need players on your roster. You need to have 14 guys. You can kind of play around with the math down the line once January comes, or you can guarantee his contract if you feel the need to flip him or just keep him the rest of the season. But it's not the type of thing that I'm going to lose any amount of sleep over because the Knicks are basically saying we're comfortable with the fact that Josh Hart can still take a lot of threes per 36 minutes. And that Obi was doing that too. And when you look at someone like Isaiah Roby, it's just not an option. It's really just you need bodies at the end of your uh, for your team. So he'll suit up because it used to be that you had to have 13 players in uniform. And now the, C- the new CBA has changed that to, I believe, 15. So uh, he could see time in an emergency, but emergency. That, that, I was about to say, you, you hit on the only word that matters, emergency. 
Isaiah Roby is a breaking case of emergency player for this team. He was never going to be anything more than a breaking breaking case of emergency player for this team. Um, to me, the Roby thing is a perfect transition to the next topic, which um, neither of us have talked about on the pod. I mean, I, I mentioned it offhandedly with Fred, but we had other stuff to get to. And that's the Knicks signed uh, Nathan Knight to a two-way. So Nathan Knight, for anybody who may not have been following along and has already checked out for the season uh, or for the summer, I should say, uh, Nathan Knight is someone who uh, was spent the last two years in Minnesota. He is a uh, ostensibly a backup center. Um, and as Andrew makes fun of me in the chat for talking about all manner of things, not having to do with the Knicks, uh, with Fred. Uh, so yeah, essentially he's a center, but he could, he, he could also double as a backup four. And I think there's at least an argument and shout out to DJ Zulo did a fantastic, uh, film thread on Nate tonight, breaking down some of his, um, pluses and minuses. I think there's an argument that Nathan Knight was a victim of circumstance uh, on a team that has, uh, last I checked, uh, $879 million invested in centers over the foreseeable future. And yeah. uh, they just didn't have room for him. They didn't have playing time for him. Um, but he's an interesting young player. The reason why I mentioned him right after Roby, and I'll also toss in there and shout out to um, Brent Hart on, uh, on Twitter who tagged me in uh, response to a Grant Williams pod that he did with JJ Redick, where Grant Williams talked about that he spoke to the Knicks in regards to free agency. I, I do find it interesting that so Grant Williams, obviously different category player than Isaiah Roby and Nathan Knight. I want to be very clear about that, but Grant Williams, Isaiah Roby, Nathan Knight, guys who are, again, could be backup fours, but also give you a little bit of positional flexibility if you want to go small ball five. I do find it kind of interesting that maybe are the Knicks lock looking, you know, Grant Williams would have been in the short term, but maybe for the long term, can we move in a direction where the guy who is our backup four can also give us maybe a little bit of optionality or maybe the other way around the guy who's our backup five can give us a, or our third string five or whatever, give us an option as a backup four, something like that. That's, that's what I found interesting. I would agree. It shows there is look. Mitchell Robinson is obviously a very different five in terms of how the Knicks operate. Uh, but you can sort of see from the lower tier players, there might be a, a mold that the Knicks are more accustomed to down yes. the line, right? Like there's the Nas Reed angle of, Hey, if, if he were to become available, which he wasn't, he signed a new contract before he was even able to hit restrict uh, unrestricted free agency. But like there's, potentially a mold that the Knicks are looking for of, and it's no secret with a player like Joel Embiid, we really want rim protection at the five, but we're also comfortable with some more spacing. Uh, it doesn't mean that they have to be constantly on the perimeter, but offer more gravity than having Mitch kind of potentially staying in the dunker spot. Uh, again, my position on end of the bench guys is pretty well known. I would hope by this point, if you listen to this podcast, what I will say in terms of Nathan Knight is it's very easy to look at the fact that he shot 36.4% from three and ignore any of the context in terms of the volume, which is that, uh, well, when he was playing, it was 0.6 threes a game. And if we want to go to the per 36, 2.7, that's, Nothing. For context, Obi Toppin last season had uh, three point attempts, uh, 
a field goal attempt of uh, 8.5 per 36. And Josh Hart with the Knicks had, let's see, it was per 36. Interestingly enough, only 2.5. Um, not a surprising number they, from Hart, by the way. No, it's more like there. It's not a one-to-one comparison of of Hart to Obi, but then there's the DiVincenzo angle of okay, that is someone who you would want to let it fly. So, I think if there's something to take away from the night signing, it's more of the philosophy involved with big men in terms of spacing, not hey, how is this going to impact? the Knicks players at the four, because that's still something that they may want to sort out. And I would be like the Knicks know that they need more space or more size. Rather. It's why they went after Paul George. It's why they have considered OG Ananobi. They want someone of that archetype. That player just has not manifested in the way the Knicks want them to be the case. I would hope not at the price that they want to, that they want to pay. Right. Like it's very easy to look at, the draft in 2024 with the picks the Knicks have and say, if they still have a pick that year and hopefully they pick someone and don't have a three year gap of no first round picks that that player would conceivably be a three, four type who can see minutes and do what they want. But that's ways away from now. Yeah. Look- for now they can accomplish everything that they want. There's just a little bit of a lack of size at the four, but as once again, as Benji said, what's the backup? Who's the backup for? That's really striking fear in the Knicks that they can't necessarily and- guard with Julius Randall soaking up 30, four or so minutes a night. And that's why I kind of like these shot in the dark things with whether it's a Nathan Knight or whether it's an Isaiah Roby, um, because then this will dovetail or, or lead right into the next topic, which is that Jericho Sims is officially going to be back for next year. The Knicks picked up what was a, um, a very small uh, guarantee number on his, the, his third year option. Um, something was about two million, two million bucks, right? We're whereabouts. It's small. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's small. And I'm going to throw something at it. We don't have to spend a long time on this, but like something that's not on our rundown because this is not a Pistons podcast. Uh, <laughs> hi, Andrew. Uh, is the I couldn't help but think with the Isaiah Stewart four for 64 extension. I granted Stewart's a young player. There's more upside there. Yada, yada, yada. If you want to listen to me and Fred talk about the Isaiah Stewart contract, go listen to that podcast. But. $60 million a year for what a guy who profiles to be moving forward a backup five. It's a lot of money. You could argue that the best backup five in the sport or the, maybe the second or third, one of the two or three best plays right here in New York. His contract runs out after next year. So I, I wonder, and I'm curious what you think between, you know, keep, I mean, obviously we knew they were going to keep Sims around because it's a small number, right? But like between Sims, between Knight, between all of these guys, as the Knicks continue to, you know, examine their books moving forward, I wonder if they think that they might get not priced out of the Isaiah Hardenstein market a year from now, but like, you know, well, I don't know. I mean, that's one way of saying it. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let me ask you. Are you saying that in the context of Hartenstein uh, as in bringing him back with Stewart? Or are you just kind of speaking general? No, I'm saying like if I, if we get to next summer and somebody looks at Hartenstein as like, you know, well, if, if you know, 15, let's, let's be a little bit more conservative, $14 million a year is the going rate for your first big off the bench and the Knicks have their money tied up in all these other places. I just wonder if the Knicks are thinking ahead on this and they're like, well, I'm not sure if that's the best way that that we could expend our assets. So let's try to get several ducks in order that like one of these 
one of these alternative options, again, whether it's a Sins, whether it's a Roby, whether it's a, um, a Nathan Knight, if, all we need is for one of these guys to hit because whether it's Mitchell Robinson or whether it's Joel Embiid, you know, we have our we have our main guy. We just need someone to fill the gaps behind. Them. Sure. Uh, well, for starters, let me just touch on Jericho Sims. The guarantee always felt guaranteed because yes, yeah, absolutely. Like, okay, you're gonna have dead money on the books and let Sims go, and then you're gonna sign someone for more money than it would cost to guarantee him. Plus the, you know, obviously Sims is more on the line of Robinson from the rim running offensive standpoint. Um, and Hardenstein has has been that way too. I guess the thought process for me, and yes, it does come down to dollars and cents as you're talking about. Um, Stewart signing that extension still feels like the Pistons jumped the gun because I just look at the market for those types of bigs and I can't help but feel, especially in Detroit, when they already have Bagley and yes. Wiseman and Duran, and now they're paying um, Stewart. So... It's more a question of like the Knicks cannot extend Isaiah Hartenstein because it's early bird rights. They don't have his full bird rights. If another team wants to pay Hartenstein 15, 16 million dollars. I was about to say three for 50. So something's crazy. Like, sure. I, I encourage them to go for it. I think it comes down to the personnel too, where let's say the Knicks in 2024 next summer are looking at a team where. Perhaps it's not Mitchell Robinson. Perhaps it is yeah. someone like Joel Embiid. Do they want to then find a five who is less like Hartenstein and more like not Embiid because you can't find some but like but embody similar traits well, because the Knicks have consistently done this thing where it's yeah. the next man up and they like to take similar philosophies at least at the five so they could be comfortable sticking with some rim running. I mean, it's not like the Sixers didn't do that. They had Drummond and they've had. Uh, Bamba, who's, I mean, does take some sh- shots from outside. They've Trez, like they have guys who do play maybe a little bit more inside than the Knicks might if they hadn't beat, but who knows? It could, it could absolutely change. I, uh, the price for Stu still surprises me, but it's certainly something to consider in terms of if you look at Isaiah Hartenstein and you look at the context of even the deadline, if you're not going to, if you don't feel like you're going to extend him, or again, we can't extend him. If you don't feel like you can bring him back, or yeah, I was about to say, back, yeah. do you then move him at the deadline? Do you look for help at the four? Like Which, all these different angles that they could yeah. look at. But I just, um, I'd be surprised though. Like we know how the Knicks I would operate. Too. They don't, they don't weaken their team if they're they in in the thick of it. I just and the other consideration that Mitch and Embiid uh, have in common is not the greatest health track record like you're going into a season with these guys as your starting center assuming there there's going to be one way or another 15 20 or so uh, games missed which is kind of why it's so nice to have a luxury like hardenstein listen we don't have to spend too much time on this i just wanted to like throw it out there because again a lot of the stuff that we're just talking about centers on these kind of like four or five hybrid guys and like you know shot in the dark options For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award regardless of the severity of your injury and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100. 
or visit weissandrosenblum.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I guess... Unless there's anything else, we could get to we could get to Fournier. So, um, you have cap or no cap lined up. Um, mm-hmm. I spoke about Fournier's comments with Fred. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have anything else to add. I mean, look, I think different people. This is like what we often say: it's like a Rorschach test. You read you read the article, and it's like if you are someone inclined to think that Evan Fournier was a terrible signing and he never meshed with this team and he needs to get lost quick, this is going to be another piece of evidence in your, in your quiver. Another arrow in your quiver. If you're someone who thinks that Tom Thibodeau is the worst thing to ever happen to the Knicks and doesn't know how to have relationships with players and should be fired immediately, this is another arrow in your quiver. I mean, you could take it any which way you want. Um, I, people kind of know which way I lean. Um, and on that note, I did think you referenced, uh, what's his name? Q- What's his initials? The Peterson kid who had QJ? the Instagram post. Was it QJ Peterson? Q, yeah, QJ Peterson. I do think it was notable that like guys, a he's not even a candidate realistically to get an exhibit ten with the Knicks, and who's watching him do friggin' you know wind sprints around the gym or whatever it is. Tom Thibodeau and who went to the summer league coach to be like, hey, this kid can help us win games. You should play him, Tom Thibodeau. So I think if you're someone quick to be like, oh, Tibbs isn't you know. He he's too dismissive of players. He doesn't take the time to to really you know be there when it when it matters and this and that. I think there's there's probably a diverse body of evidence when it comes to that stuff. But I digress. Your thoughts on the Fournier thing? Sure. Well, before I get into that, real quick. So I've uh, since the pod has dropped, I've been either constantly on the go or when I was on the go my AirPods decided to stop working. So I haven't actually had the opportunity yet to listen to your pod with Fred. I'm excited to do that probably tomorrow. Um, So I'm going to ask you to just very quickly repeat yourself, if you don't mind, in terms of just a a 30 to 45 second overview in terms of where you're at. In addition to your newsletter. Great. I don't think it matters. I don't think anything, I don't think anything for you said matters. So in terms of, this is not where I want to lead with, but just a, a current thought. I do feel that there is legitimate concern on my end when Fournier is talking about the relationship with Tibbs and we have to consider Cam Reddish's relationship with Tibbs. It feels like, and this is hard to get to the root of it, but if you are expelled from the rotation, you're essentially dead to Tibbs. And, and well, 
if you're within the rotation, you're obviously cared for and looked out for, for the most part, right? There's some players who are in the rotation and maybe still, there are some gripes that could be made about they should get more minutes, they should get fewer minutes, whatever it might be. I think there is a legitimate concern in terms of how Tibbs functions with these players. I say that as someone from the outside looking in, lacking the context, but it just felt like when we're hearing it from these players and we have heard it before, there's kind of not a great sense of communication where it's, this is why we are seating you. And we could say as fans, look, the evidence is X, Y, and Z. And I hear that, but I just, I would hope from someone who manages people and we we could even just throw away the, the sports part of it, just someone who is a boss of these players that there would be more direct communication, more back and forth. It seems like that's lacking. I think that's a, I think that's a style thing. I think that is a management. I think everybody manages differently. And I think if there's been one consistent critique throughout tips throughout his career, it's that he's not a coach. He's not a manager of people that is suited out, that is suited properly to how people um, specifically NBA athletes like to be managed in this day and age. I think the, the, the common thread amongst newer coaches, younger coaches is that there's going to be a lot more handholding. There's going to be a lot of, a lot more check-ins like, Hey, let's have a, you know, are you doing all right? Everything okay? Like that's not Tibbs. Tibbs, like, and that's why I you you say like, well, if you're on the outside of the rotation, Tibbs is done with you. I don't think Tibbs again, I'm from the complete outside looking in, totally on the outside, zero inside knowledge about any of this. I think Tibbs approaches everybody the same way. If he has something to tell you, he's gonna call you into his office and he's gonna tell you something. Hey, you're starting tonight. Hey, you're out of the you're 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 probably not playing tonight. And then after that. That's it. I don't think Tibbs has like these special powwows with Jalen Brunson or, uh, you know, Josh Hart or whoever you want to say where, you know, they, they, they go behind the water cooler and like snicker at the guys who are outside of rotation. I think Tibbs is, is busy about is worried about doing his job and he doesn't feel and this is the key part. He doesn't feel it's hit part of his job to worry about these players feelings. I think he's, he feels like it's his job to coach these players. And I, I would actually go a step further and I would, would go so far as to say, I would bet, I would bet that he feels like if he goes and leans too far into the, I'm going to become more concerned with these players' feelings and kind of be more, move more into the, into the friend zone, so to speak. Um, that actually makes it harder for him to do his job. I would bet that's what he thinks. Is that the right way to approach it? I have no idea, but I bet you that's how he thinks about it. Well, it's less about snickering. It's more just about the interactions that there, there are distinct differences in terms of how he goes player to player. Like you hear him talk about certain players and you hear him talking about Julius Randall. There is a distinct difference in terms of how he seems to talk with them and talk about them. Well, we don't know how he talks with them. We know how he talks about them, and he's always referred to sure. Julius Julius Randall as an elevated in an elevated way because Julius Randall's been the star, which is how he's talked about Jalen Brunson this past year. Because Jalen Brunson's that. a star too, of course. It's just it seems from how he is how he comes across. Look again, I, I understand it's completely style driven. It just seems, especially with a group of individuals that happen to be on the younger side. Right, like a reason why the younger coaches are having this different rapport is because they're connecting with 
players who are yeah. closer in age to them. So they can, I, they oftentimes think of, Hey, if I were in those shoes, in their shoes, what is it that I want? Uh, and I think that's the old how, style. that's how the front office said it. I think that was the, always the front office's plan. Hey, we know Tibbs has this weakness. We know he's not the best at communicating with players, especially young players. Let's get a group of guys, specifically Johnny Bryan, whoever else is on the coaching staff, who that's going to be specifically their purview is. And that's, and that's why Brian is the guy who I think you're, everybody was like, well, he's the coach in waiting because he's the guy who has the relationships with these players. Right. It's more just, there was the focus on tips. If Johnny Bryan is able to do more of the interpersonal stuff with players outside of a lot of the guards, because he typically works with the guards and that's, that's great. You need someone to be the balancing act. And I would hope that that's the case. It just feels like with tips, no one's perfect. We all have things we need to work on areas of development. It just seems like there's kind of a unifying thing in terms of the grumblings that we're hearing for how he's handling it, how he's communicating it, how he's keeping guys ready. Obviously, players have to be ready to to perform uh, on a moment's notice, but it just seems like there's a disconnect somewhere. It doesn't make his coaching uh, for not. It's just I, we all have things that we can work on that feels like something that even he commented on, I believe, going into the job of wanting to be more interpersonal <laughs> going to other teams when he wasn't yeah. coaching, getting a perspective, I, like with the warriors, how Kerr interacts with players. All yeah, different absolutely. Just to grow. So that's it just, I just wish that he could continue on that from the second hand. And I mean, I guess sometimes first well, account of, of like what Fournier is selling, unless it was so lost in translation that it, it's uh, hard to decipher, but it doesn't seem to be the case. And you, and yet you can look at a, a coach like Steve Kerr, who, as you just said, is, is generally praised for, this sort of thing. And you could argue that more than any other team in the league this year, disharmony in that locker room is what prevented them from achieving their goals. Now, is that Kerr's fault? No, I don't think that's Steve Kerr's fault. I think Draymond Green's an asshole and Jordan Poole was, <laughs> you know, it kind of never a great fit in terms of personality, maybe in terms of, of on-court stuff too. And it's like, shit happens. You know, just like Fournier, it wasn't working on the court. So he got benched. Shit happens. I do I it would worry me as a fan if I thought any of this was going to prevent a player from wanting to come to the Knicks. And I not to say that there might not be player a player or players, significant players out there who might not want to come play for the Knicks because they don't want to play for tips. I think that's absolutely the case. I don't think this is the reason that they wouldn't want to come play for Tibbs. I think more, it's more just like Tibbs has a reputation for, you know, it's, it's very regimented under him. I think that's more the reason some players want an atmosphere that is a little bit more loosey goosey, which again, that gets into a whole nother conversation. Sure. Yeah. One more thing before I go on, I know in your newsletter, you mentioned something about you felt like this, the Fournier contract belongs more on like the Mount Rushmore of oh yeah bad signings. Do you stand by that? Of bad free agent signings, just bad Knicks contracts. I do. Yeah, I do. With I yeah, uh, I do. I think it's one of the so, four worst free agent contracts that they've ever signed. Free agent contract. Free agent contracts. Did I not specify that? I I, I thought I did. Okay, I just wanted to get your thoughts. Yes. All right. It's more the way I see it. Obviously, the Knicks signed a good offensive player, knowing he had defensive uh, inefficiencies. Uh, paired him with Kemba, paired him with RJ. It did not work. That being said, 
and he struggled a lot. I mean, in, in terms of this second season, the, struggled immensely. I don't think fans have fully grasped how bad his offense was. Like his offense, I believe was around five points lower. Uh, True shooting percentage was five points lower than RJ's the first 48 games or so. Yes. He he couldn't hit the RJ's was, was terrible Uh, or uh, not terrible. It was not, it was bad. Uh, Whatever the adjectives aside, it, it, Fournier wasn't hacking it. Um, But he also set the single season record for threes. Uh, So it's, the way I see it, obviously, that was in a season that didn't wind up mattering because the Knicks didn't make the playoffs and they didn't use the draft picks and said got future picks instead. But I just feel like that has to still count for something. I, I understand the size. I understand the percentage of the cap and all of that. I just don't. I think there was more value than what he showed this, this past season, certainly. Um, but I think the Knicks didn't exactly help themselves by not playing him, but they also played better players ahead of him in terms of guys who could cover their own asses better defensively. So I don't have an issue with him not seeing as much time. And I also think the one pushback in terms of the playoff focus of like Nick's going to be used to shooting. Sure. Are you prepared for the flip side of if the Knicks put Evan Forney out there without much time involved in the process to then maybe be even slower on defense and relinquishing there. There's an opportunity cost, whether there's a right or wrong decision for Tibbs. Like I, I don't know. I, we don't have that other side of it. I know it's just the, that it was, of the defensive end. I know that the notion that they should have played forty eight more is ludicrous because <laughs> the numbers, like what happened after the, he just. Th- but this is why I made. This is why I said what I said. It's not his fault. Forty eight. I thought Fred nailed it last season when he was like the guy that they signed. That Fournier was in his first year with the team. That's the guy Fournier has always been. He was no different. He was just, he was the same player. It was just a fit perspective. I think why you may have been, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think why you may have been taken aback by me putting him on the Mount Rushmore worst free agent signings is because unlike a guy like Jerome James, or to use a, a, a much more expensive example, uh, Joakim Noah, guys who came here and just stunk, they were just awful. Every Fournier came here, he didn't stink, at least in comparison to what he's always been. He was the same guy he's always been. It was just a a terrible fit through, I think, no fault of his own. I don't think Fournier did anything wrong. Like I think he came here and he played his butt off. I think he sure. tried really hard. I think he, he, he played to the best of his abilities. It was just a really, really, really poor fit. And I, that's been clear to me. Which is why should it go in like a different category than your Noah's and your Jerome James's and your uh, that's it. See, but this is the other part of it, which is why like you go through all the list of Nick's atrocities over the years. Most of them come by a trade. Mm-hmm. There haven't been a lot of big free agent signings for them, and and that's why when when you factor in the money, I th- I thought it warranted inclusion. I hear you. It's more. I know. I feel like it's tough to blame the contract or the player, if you're also saying the fit was the worst part of it. Like, I'm not saying build around Evan Fournier because he's not good enough to be built. Yeah, around, no, no, so I, I, just, I, I get what you're saying. It's just like, if you're, if you feel like, okay, we're going to go after Evan Fournier because we like his pulp ability. We need spacing. We want to be a better team. We want, if things go well, we have salary to move in some it sort of sound trade. Logic. Right. It, it makes sense from that standpoint. It just didn't and the work. Kemba part impacts it, right? Absolutely, and the, Kemba, and the Kemba and the RJ part where RJ with it. Yeah. RJ started that season phenomenally defensively, and it just kind of tapered off uh, from there. So it's 
I hear you in terms of the supporting cast in the backcourt, you know, like one through three in general. Um, but I just, I don't know. I, if the fit is the part that's that's wrong, I don't know if Fournier gets the blame for it. I'm not blaming him. Not not him, but like the. <laughs> I just I think there's a separation. I don't think they're they're conjoined. Is all I'm saying. That's yeah. Look, we're 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 parsing hairs here. I, I it's it's a fair gripe. Um, it's certainly it. The Fournier signing does not feel in any way, shape, or form and like Noah or or. Or again, or Jerome James. Those are the two that keep popping to my mind. I've, is there another? Like that's the thing. How many other? How many really truly atrocious free agent signings have there been? And that's the thing. Like, are we talking? Do you count Alan Houston's contract? No, the because he second wasn't a free agent. was an extension, right? Yeah, that's the thing. It's it is harder to find it. It's more just like it's not. There aren't like I would put Courtney Lee's ahead of Evan Fournier's to be quite honest. Oh, I, I would say that was. I, a, <laughs> well, actually, you Courtney know Lee's contract it? was a higher percentage of. The salary cap, I would imagine. No, it was. I also think he was a good fit, and it was more uh, a circumstance of that team just started going down. If you know who this, you know who should be on it ahead of Fournier. Not that, that there's still room for Fournier. If it's if it's Noah, Jerome, James, this guy, and Evan is Tim Hardaway Jr. I think Tim Hardaway Jr. And again, Tim Hardaway Jr. wasn't a bad player here. He was. He was pretty good. He was basically on track what he what he was projected to be, and then he kind of got dealt with some injury issues. Um, Andrew and they put in the it, yeah yeah I, I mean Aaron, Andrew put two names in the chat Nerlens Noel Jared Jeffries Jeffries I would agree with Noel I, the only reason I'd push back it was only two years of guaranteed money but even still the second year the Knicks did they couldn't just move him uh, by non guaranteeing his deal in the second year which impacted Jalen Brunson and all of that so there is an opportunity cost that came with all of the free agent signings in 2021 we can yeah. pick and choose which ones but. I don't know. I I feel I, like he, I, I feel like Evan this. misses it, but I understand if you want to put him on there. I just want to get clarification. It's, I might have to write a newsletter on this. He just gave me gave me the inspiration. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm glad we I'm glad we we hashed that out. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.